Hello, I'm Wayne, and this is my Iron Maiden podcast, special edition, sponsored by you. So thank you very much. That's right, this is a special edition of my podcast, which is only available for subscribers of Ko-fi. I'm not going to do too many of these, but I feel like I should offer some sort of bonus for your generosity in supporting the show by donating the price of a Frey Bentos pie. Now, I could look at it literally and say that I've had over a week's worth of Frey Bentos pies, which is a nice treat for anybody, especially Dennis Stratton. But I'm not here today to talk about pies. I'm here to talk about the Live at the Rainbow VHS, which was released in May 1981, three months after the Killers album. Now, I thought originally I could just watch the video and talk about it while I was watching it and do some sort of commentary that you could listen to while watching the video. Uh, A bit like those extras on DVDs, you know, on disc two or three that nobody bothers with. But I'm not going to do that because that means I'd have to talk for half an hour, which is longer than my usual podcasts. And this is a bonus episode, so it's a bit of a bite-sized treat. That's what I'm hoping for. A bit like a toffee crisp. So yeah, this video, it was the first VHS or video that they uh, brought out and it's uh, it's a nice treat for fans because it shows one of Adrian Smith's first gigs, it shows Clive Burr on drums and it shows Paul Diano on vocals. So it's quite a decent quality show really, a good video. I mean, not compared to later releases of course when they had a bigger budget and a better stage show, but I think it's decent enough. Um, The lighting's not so good perhaps, but... It's all about the energy for me, about the performance of the songs. There's only seven songs on the video because uh, they had to just fit it to about half an hour. I'm not sure why that was because the set list was about twice that length and I'll come to that later. When I watched the video as a boy, I remember there used to be a warning message before it started and that would flash on the screen for a bit and it would have warning and then it would have this big sort of paragraph about where you could play it legally and uh, it had the word prohibited on it which was a new word to me. I remember that. And sometimes I used to play a game to see if I could read all of this paragraph before it disappeared from the screen. Sometimes I read it quite quickly and then I had to sit there bored while it stayed on the screen for a bit. But later on, I was allowed to use a remote control with the video so I could use the fast forward button. I've mentioned the stage set and yeah, it's quite simple. You've got an image of Eddie behind the the drum kit Um, which is of its time. And you can see that on the back of the Killers album, that sort of version of Eddie. Um, What's disappointing is the way it's edited, you don't see Paul Diana really enter the stage, like I've suggested in other episodes of my podcast, with a a laugh and a hearty wave. He's just there. I notice that there's a, a bit of a consistency with what the band are wearing, and all the guitarists are wearing waistcoats. Controversially for 1981, Dave Morey and Steve Harris are not wearing a shirt with their waistcoat. Dave's is like a light blue denim, whereas Steve's is black. Adrian's also got a waistcoat on, but but with a shirt. And his is like a leopard skin, which again is quite unusual. Paul Diano, however, is wearing all black. He's got like a black shirt, no waistcoat. But he's got like a studded belt and those wrist things. After what happened with Dennis Stratton and the band meeting about the women in uniform video, I wonder if a similar thing happened here, where all the guitarists had a plan to wear a waistcoat and didn't include Paul Diano. Maybe this was an early indication that the writing was on the wall for Paul Diano as Iron Maiden singer. 
It's pleasing that Steve Harris is wearing his black and white striped trousers, though, which is always a pleasure. The first main song that we hear is Wrathchild, which, as I said in the podcast, is one of my favourites. It's a great song, and you can really feel the energy. The band seem to be having quite a good time. There's like a bit of fun on the stage, I notice. You know, they're still quite young, aren't they? And they're giving it their all. And I like the fact that Dave Murray's doing his solo. And he's got one arm in the air. He's just like whittling about with one hand. And it's really exciting. And there's even time to have a chat with Adrian Smith while he's doing it. Since I've been doing the podcast, I've become more aware of things that may have been happening with the band at that time. Especially around Paul Diano and where he might have been going when he went missing now and again. I noticed that when Paul Diano sings the line, I know I'll get to find a serious peace of mind. I feel like he's winking at the camera when he says that, as if to say, I know there'll be an album with that title in the future. Moving on, we come to the song Killers, and famously, this is where there's different lyrics to the actual album version. He's introducing it as the title track for the new album, so this was in December 1980, so they must have known this would be the new album title and the title track but just a few months before it was released it had different lyrics so I wonder whether the new lyrics was like a last minute thing it was quite hard to work out what the lyrics were when I watched this as a boy and now of course people have transcribed it on Google and you can sort of see for yourself what they're all about it talks about London and uh, the fact that there's the killers are us and I sort of discussed this in the episode about the song Killers Paul Diana does a lot of pointing when he's singing these lines uh, there's a bit of sort of air guitar that he does as well, but it's not really strumming like playing a guitar. It's more sort of tapping with his hand. So I don't know if he's doing like a, a keytar, an air keytar. I think maybe he's invented this because nobody else has ever done this. I think Paul Diano should be given more praise as a sort of an innovator when you consider things like this. I can imagine, though, when I hear this song, that the music, when they're performing it, is so tight, they must have just thought, this is great. For, for the title song of the album, even even if we're not sure about the lyrics yet. And uh, watching it live, once again, you can appreciate the guitar parts more. Remember, Tomorrow is next. And because uh, it's a slower song, they use dry ice to give more atmosphere and uh, sort of a moody appearance. And the, and the technology of video at the time, they're, they're trying to use some effects to make it appear even more so. They sort of fade two pictures in and out of each other. And... Uh, once again, when it gets a bit more frantic near the end, Paul Diano does his air guitar again. And uh, I might practice this. I might, might try and do it if, if I ever go out to a nightclub again. Near the end of the song, you can hear a slight difference in this version to the studio version on the debut album. And there's more toms that Clive Burr plays, which give it a bit more of a, I don't know, hard to say really, but just sort of adds to the effect and, and the feeling of the song. Interestingly, this song comes before Transylvania, which, as we know, is an instrumental. And as a boy, I may not have thought much about this, but as an adult, I'm watching very closely to see what happens to Paul Diano. Now, at the end of Remember Tomorrow, he yelps and the song ends, and then you see him standing by the drum kit. Then the lights go out and it all goes dark, and then the lights come back on again when the first notes of Transylvania come in. And guess what? Paul Diano isn't there. It's still a good watch, even if you are concerned with Paul Diano's whereabouts. The three guitarists take centre stage, and the bass is very prominent, so Steve Harris is in the middle, of course. It's hard for me to hear this song without my vocals, which is quite sad, and I sort of want to join in with it, with my own vocals, 
I'm a bit disappointed with the crowd here, although, of course, they couldn't have known 40 years ago that there would be some lyrics written for it. I notice in this version that it's Adrian that does a really good solo in this song. He takes up perhaps what Dennis Stratton did on the album. And if you consider that Adrian had only joined the band a month ago, I think it's really good that he's learned things so quickly. And, you know, it's a good example of his work ethic and that probably pleased Steve Harris. Transylvania ends and then conveniently the camera cuts to the crowd. And when it goes back to the stage, there's Paul Diano again. So, yeah, either clever editing or maybe the band didn't notice that he disappeared and come back. But there he is, introducing the next song, which is Phantom of the Opera. Now, I I paused it when I watched this recently, just to have a look at him. And I noticed his hair looks dishevelled. So, I don't know where he'd been in the Transylvania song. Maybe uh, he had some sort of encounter back in time. Some might say that he may have just been backstage, wiping his sweaty hair with a towel. But... I don't know. There's there's lots of theories, isn't there? He's also had a change of outfit. Um, before he had a black shirt, but now he's got a leather jacket with no top on underneath. Phantom of the Opera is another good example of a song being brilliant live. I mean, you think with all the studio technology that songs can't be improved on, but Phantom here, oh, it's amazing. I think uh, you can hear the guitar solo, the, the bass groove, the drums, the fact that you can see them performing it adds to the sort of whole drama and atmosphere of the song and it's just so exciting. And I think, I don't know, it seems wrong to say it, but this could be the best the bandies because they're just so young and uh, I say it's like a vital performance. It's like as if their lives depend on it and I reckon, you know, if they performed these songs five or ten years ago, they sort of don't need to bother so much, do they? They're a bit older, they've got the money. But, yeah, probably can't be critical, because they're still professionals. As I mentioned on the episode about Phantom of the Opera, there are lots of instrumental passages, and uh, I speculated as to what Paul Diano was doing in the studio while these were being recorded. And similarly, on this live performance, he disappears again while they're all playing, and then he comes back with no top on. I pointed this out to my mum, but she wasn't interested. While they're playing these extra instrumental passages, he sort of makes these jerky movements on stage. He doesn't dance like perhaps he could have done to Rathchild if he'd learned my moves that I discussed. But yeah, he just does these jerky movements, which are fine because I guess most people in the crowd are just going crazy and not really watching like I am on a sofa with, with some pop. As I said, it's a classic song and I'd love to have seen them play it when it was as fresh as this, but I was too young. I don't even think I was at school when this happened. I'm quite confused by the song Iron Maiden, which is next, because Paul Diano's got his leather jacket on. What I think could have happened here is possibly Paul Diano travelled through time from the song before Transylvania to sing Iron Maiden in the future, still wearing the leather jacket, before going back again for Phantom of the Opera. I'm not sure if this is right, and maybe I'll watch it again with this theory in mind. But as far as I'm aware, there's been no critical analysis of the video in this way, so... um, I might think about this uh, again before making it public. But luckily, there aren't so many subscribers to my Ko-Fi channel, so it's just between us for now. Iron Maiden, of course, is is the song that often ends the set before an encore. And in this case, uh, Eddie comes on, like you'd expect. But it's early days for Iron Maiden. And in fact, there are lots of Eddies. But I think it's just roadies wearing a mask. But uh, still good. You know, People in the crowd would have been quite happy with this. Uh, and they sort of come on holding these spotlights, which they shine into the audience, which is it's a nice fitting end to the show. 
Now, apparently, there was a problem with the sound during this show, and, and it all broke down halfway through. So they were filming it, of course, but uh, when it all got fixed, I think they asked most of the fans to stay behind so they could re-record Phantom of the Opera and Iron Maiden. And, of course, most of them did. So uh, that's an interesting fact. So just to recap, the songs on the video, we've got The Eyes of March as introduction, Wrathchild, Killers, Remember Tomorrow, Transylvania, Phantom of the Opera and Iron Maiden. So that's a set of just half an hour. And considering it came out after the Killers album, it's a strange mix of songs from both albums. I think if you were going to choose their best songs, there's a few there that maybe you wouldn't have put on. I think Wrathchild and Killers should have definitely been on. Uh, Iron Maiden you'd probably expect, and Phantom of the Opera. I'm glad that Remember Tomorrow's on it, and Transylvania, just so I could sort of see what happens to Paul Diano. But when you consider some of the other songs that you'd expect, like Running Free and Sanctuary, which would have been in the set, I'm quite surprised they didn't include those. But I wonder what the decision-making process was like. Right, I'm going to ring up Trevor now and see if he uh, remembers anything about the Live at the Rainbow VHS. Hi, Wayne. You all right? Yeah, hello, Trevor. Yeah, I'm just ringing uh, about the Live at the Rainbow video. The what? The Live at the Rainbow video, you know, the Iron Maiden video that came out yeah, from the Paul Diano era. Oh, yeah. Uh, the podcast isn't until Tuesday, is it? I thought it was Prodigal Son next. Yeah, I know, but I'm just in a bonus episode for the people who've tipped me on Ko-Fi, you know, the Frey Bentos thing. Oh, yeah, OK. I haven't got a poem, though, about the Rainbow video. I can't even remember it. I thought you would have known. I thought you used to have it. Remember, I borrowed it that once. Yeah, yeah. No, I do remember. I just If I'd known, I'd have watched it and remembered. But, yeah, I think it's a good video. Uh, I liked it more than the other videos from the 80s. I didn't like... Well, video pieces was all right. That had some singles on, didn't it? Just the videos. And they weren't that special. But I think, yeah, Live at the Rainbow was my favourite Iron Maiden video until maybe Live After Death. Well, I, yeah, so I, I probably should have told you I was going to do this and then... Um... We could have had more of a chat, but uh, I think we did watch it quite a lot, so you must remember some of it. It'd be like 12 Wasted Years, isn't it? We watched that loads, and we remember loads of little random details from that. But yeah, do you remember the... Uh, I've, I've talked mainly about what they're wearing, the stage set, the songs. Um, anything you, you remember particularly? I remember all the Eddies coming on, and uh, that, that was fun at the end. I thought it was like a family of Eddies um, all coming on with the lights. But, uh, yeah, I found out later there were just men with masks. It was a bit like when I found out about Father Christmas. It was, uh, yeah, it wasn't good. So, yeah, probably a good job you didn't ask me to write a poem about it. Yeah, all, all right. Then. Um, well, thanks anyway. It's only a brief one because it's just like a special bonus episode. I don't even know how long it'll be, maybe 10 minutes. But, uh, yeah, just to say thank you to, to fans. And, and I'll tell you what, next time I do one, and I might do one for Made in Japan, but... Depends what what time we got. Um, I'll let you know more so you can listen in advance. I'm sorry to catch you on the spot. I just thought it's probably like when I rang you for Prowler, isn't it? I assumed you remembered the song, but uh, now we've got this going. Um, yeah, I, I realise I should have perhaps told you. All right. Well, thanks anyway, Wayne. Bye. So those are some observations about the live at the Rainbow VHS. In future, I might do more bonus episodes like this. 
Um, maybe about the live shows. Uh, I've got Made in Japan possibly coming up soon. And then, of course, there are lots of other live releases, whether they're um, video or albums. And I might do a few extra episodes about some of the B-sides that I've missed out so far. I've also got a deleted scene from uh, an earlier episode where Trevor uh, contributed a poem. I recorded the phone call and then he changed his mind and demanded I phone him back. So there may be more deleted scenes. In fact, he wrote a poem for Killers, but I found it was too disturbing. So I I said that we shouldn't put that in. And then luckily he wrote one about his nan. But... uh, Yeah, maybe that will be released as well one day. So I want to make it worthwhile for people who have been supportive of the show. And I do appreciate it. I don't expect anything. It was just an option, a new way of getting some bonus content. And there will be more things later on. I'm hoping to have some merchandise options on the Ko-Fi page. And I'll try and post more about my thoughts and other various findings and and comments. But uh, thanks for supporting the show. Um, I didn't expect it to go on this long. It only started off as a, a sort of a light-hearted thing and then uh, actually people started listening to it so I thought I'd better carry on so thanks for that and um, whenever you're listening to this if you're a supporter and you're listening to it immediately I'll see you very soon for the next episode in the Killers series if I do happen to release this years later I don't know where I'll be I might be dead maybe it's been released as a sort of posthumous appreciation it seems strange not having any music to play out to. Um, I'm not going to sort of play the video in the background. That, that's a bit strange. I don't think I'm allowed to do that. But yeah, hopefully it's made you think about the performance. Maybe it's made you want to go out and watch it again, get it out of, of the video cabinet, or probably easier just to find it on YouTube. Anyway, thanks for listening, and uh, speak soon. Bye-bye.